all the work we need to do around investing in communities, thinking about social justice and the impact as an organization we can have on the external environment, on our own industry. It's important that we think about how do we use our brands to tell a story and to actually impact social change. It's really important that we work with third parties, that we invest in minority-owned businesses. So all of that sits not necessarily within HR's remit. Actually, that's all about the business, right? And just how we operate. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. The way we work has changed forever, and highly skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top talent to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bodgis. We have three leaders from Diageo, the beverage industry giant. Their products are sold in more than 180 countries, and their brands include household names such as Johnny Walker, Crown Royal, Smirnoff, Ciroc, Kettle One, Captain Morgan, Bailey's, and Guinness. Our guests include Laura Watt, Executive Vice President of Human Resources, Diageo North America, Janine Dooley, Head of Inclusion and Diversity, Diageo North America, and Caroline Cabs Rhodes, Global Inclusion and Diversity Director and HR Director, Corporate Functions. I want to start with the My Name Is campaign. So Diageo released a powerful video with employees pronouncing their own names and encouraging people to ask when they're unsure how to say someone else's name. So let's start with Janine. Why did Diageo create this video and campaign? One's name is so personal. Asking the question, can you pronounce your names for me so I get it right? It's the start of a really great conversation. I've been involved in a lot of inclusion campaigns at Diageo. And so far, this was the most simple and really the most impactful. Have there been any employees who weren't in the video who shared how that campaign helped them, Janine? Actually, this was a classic FOMO. Everybody wanted to be in the video. The campaign has gotten such great reception from colleagues around the world. Folks really connected to the simplicity. And honestly, it helped folks to feel liberated. So many said that they often would feel awkward if they didn't know how to pronounce someone's name. And now they just jump right in and ask. I want to talk about another major initiative at Diageo. And this question is for Laura. Even though about half the population goes through it, menopause is still such a taboo subject, especially at work. And that's why I was so excited to see that Diageo introduced global menopause awareness guidelines. I haven't seen anything like that before. Tell me about how these guidelines came about, Laura, and what the goals are, please. It's a great question, actually, because it is one of those subjects that nobody talks about. Even when I told people, colleagues and friends outside of work, what we were doing, there was kind of silence. We are trying to create the most inclusive work environment where everybody right, can be their best. And we recognize that, as you said, half the population will be impacted by this at some point in their lives. And so... We felt that this is a real opportunity to open a conversation, you know, creating 
awareness of this and education really is one of the first steps of creating the most inclusive work environment. There was a stat actually around I think one in four women in the UK actually considered leaving the workforce during menopause because of the impact of the symptoms were having on their personal lives and on their ability to work. So we felt it wasn't just about creating that inclusive work environment and doing the right thing. Actually, it's good for business because we want our people to be able to perform and be their best. So our toolkit that we put out for line managers, employees includes a range of different assets and tools to help line managers have conversations for employees to be able to raise concerns that they may have. It looks at all things, right? It looks at is the workplace and the environment where people are working conducive uh, if people are feeling or have symptoms or needed to raise something. It also relies on some of our other philosophies and policies around flexibility. Do people need more flex during this time to work flexible hours, depending on when they're being impacted? And also just how do we manage absence if people do need to be able to take time off? It also reinforces a number of the resources we have to help people, like our employee assistance program. If people do need professional counselling or support or medical advice, we kind of put all of that in one place to be able to create a one-stop shop that really helps people be able to talk about it, raise it and, and get support and take action. I can see why women, especially at Diageo, are very happy to be working there. And I hope a lot of other companies follow suit because when I'm uncomfortable, I don't necessarily want to be sitting in an office with lots of people staring at me and wondering what's going on with me. So thank you for introducing such an inclusive initiative that really makes your workers feel comfortable. And I can see the business imperative for doing so, too. So it's really obvious that Diageo cares a lot about inclusion. So I have a question for CABS now. What campaigns or policies are on the horizon at Diageo to further encourage belonging? We've got a number already in place and we need to build on those. So if I think about some of the things we have launched in the last 12 months, in addition to menopause guidelines, so gender expression and identity guidelines for those that are transitioning, a well-being philosophy for those who might need support with their, with their well-being in different forms, it's about ensuring that those policies, philosophies and guidelines are truly embedded, whilst also listening and learning from our own people on what more we should be doing. And also looking outside and seeing what's happening in society, what's happening in the communities in which we operate. So because you're such a global organization, as we can see just from the countries you each come from and live in, I'd love to hear about a talent or technology lesson, Cavs, that was learned in one region that then got applied to another. If I think about the employee resource group, so Janine has been a co-chair of the Rainbow Network for many years. She's now moved off that role and is overseeing all the business resource groups in North America. And the North America resource groups are, in my view, best in class. And when I was working in the North America business, which is where I was until six months ago, my eyes were open to the opportunity that the resource groups afford the business and to the support they provide to our leaders, to our people. And actually, I've been able to take some of those learnings from Janine and from the team and bring them back to the UK and our UK, Ireland and Scotland teams where the resource groups aren't quite as developed. That's just another example. And then I think the final one I would use is most recently we launched a progressive framework, inclusion and diversity framework. We took some learnings from North America. We built some of those pieces of work into a global framework. But what we said was, this is only a framework. We're not going to sit in London and tell you what you should be doing in South Africa or what you should be doing in Mexico. So that framework then provides 
the tools and the tram lines to look to create the right strategy, but then the local elements are really important. So in Mexico, the team might be focused on LGBTQ and gender as an example versus the UK where they might be looking at ethnicity. I want to stick with inclusion and diversity for a moment. So Janine, you're fairly new to your IND leadership role. And, you know, if you go to LinkedIn, your background is in demand planning. But from what I'm hearing from CABS is that you've been involved in business resource groups for quite some time. Tell me about how you wound up in an IND role officially. Throughout all my years at Diageo, as CABS mentioned, I have been involved in creating an inclusive culture. The Rainbow Network, BRG, gave me a great platform to be my authentic self and to work with leadership across the business to shape policies. When the role opened up as the head of inclusion and diversity for North America, it was a perfect opportunity for me to marry my technical, functional leadership skills with my passion. I firmly believe that everyone should feel as if they can bring their full, authentic self to work with them every day. It really has been an incredible journey for me these last 15 months. And I so look forward to all that is ahead. So Cavs, as diversity, equity, and inclusion departments grow at companies, because this has become a real focus, finally, as it should be, how should leaders identify internal employees who don't necessarily have a traditional DE&I background, but would be successful in those open roles? Well, I think I will answer the question using myself as an example. (laughs) So my background is not in inclusion and diversity. My background is in corporate affairs, corporate relations and communications. And and for the last 10 years prior to taking this role, that was what I was what I've been focused on. But with a real passion and focus on employee engagement and employee advocacy. And I think what what anyone should be looking for is someone who takes the time to understand what really unlocks the best employee experience for people, takes the time to understand what allows employees to thrive. And that's through listening, that's through learning, and that's also also through personal experience. And I think those attributes, along with someone who is willing to try new things, take a, a, a little bit of a risk, because this is a new subject in lots of businesses, you know, has, has just a, a general understanding of people, I think, is probably the important skill set. So I think you speak to many inclusion and diversity directors, officers, leaders of teams. Very few of them have come with inclusion and diversity backgrounds. Most have worked in other businesses. They might have worked in NGO organizations. They might have worked on topics or in resource groups such as Janine. And I think the key thing is I never assume that I know the answer. I always will use and partner with this group of people on this call, but also our resource groups country and collaboration from around the world. Collaboration is clearly very key for success of any IND department. So Laura, I'm wondering, what do you think are some best practices for HR and IND leaders to work well together? So what ways should their work overlap and in what ways should they stay distinct? I actually don't think where IND sits, there is any perfect answer about where their IND sits within outside of HR or in HR. I think What's really important is that there's so many elements of the IND ambition that are so aligned to what is the core work of HR. So I think about how do we ensure we have the right representation in each of our markets? How do we ensure that we are attracting, developing, retaining um, all of our talent, including our diverse talent? 
how are we making sure that we are creating and building capabilities in our leaders to be absolutely the best inclusive leaders that they can be and how are we creating a culture of inclusion and all that kind of culture capability attract develop a work is is absolutely core to what hr um, you know does day to day so you know there's a real natural uh, link to you know, working with hr and partnering with hr the ind um, area at the same time that's not where ind finishes there's all the work we need to do around investing in communities thinking about social justice and the impact as an organization we can have on the external environment on our own industry it's important that we think about how do we use our brands to tell a story and to actually impact social change it's really important that we work with third parties that we invest in minority owned businesses so all of that sits not necessarily within hr's remit actually that's all about the business right and just how we operate what's really important to me as i think about ind that is that IND is everybody's job, right? It's not HR's job, it's not one function's job, it's absolutely everybody's job to be thinking about it every day and creating the culture where people can be their best. So in Diageo, we've actually launched a 2030 ambition which has three main pillars. The pillars are about positive drinking, inclusion and diversity, and what we call grain to glass sustainability. Now those three areas are about what the whole business needs to own as an agenda and actually we've incentivized our senior management on the goals that we have against those three and um, it goes into our long-term incentive plan so it's a business objective and our leaders are being absolutely held accountable for these business outcomes and they're definitely not seen as hr Holding leaders accountable has been a theme on the Talent Economy podcast because we know that is the only way change really, really happens when it affects someone's paycheck or it affects someone's tenure at an organization. So again, really glad to hear that Diageo is thinking like that too. I also really liked that Diageo proudly touts right from its LinkedIn page how the company helps its workforce, I'm quoting, define their career growth through stretching roles and exciting development opportunities. Cabs, how do managers ensure that they're giving their team stretch assignments and what exciting development opportunities are there? We are, every single one of us at Diageo, encouraged to take accountability for our own career from the get-go when you join Diageo. Working with your line manager and the leaders within your in your teams, that's the mantra. And I think we see that come through every day with people moving roles, moving on, trying new things. So 70-20-10 is the kind of principle we follow, which is 10% of that is cap- formal capability training. 70 is on-the-job work, so where you really learn and where you really grow. And in our business right now, with virtual working with many other businesses, we've been allowed and able to have people working on projects historically they might not have been involved in because they were considered to be in the office in that location so we have people perhaps in Nigeria who might be working on a project in London whereas historically that project might have been seemed to be not appropriate because the individual was wasn't mobile and wasn't able to move and then that 20% is learning from your colleagues that collaboration piece which comes from a lot of this work and I think Diageo I would say this myself I've been at Diageo 25 years in my view, I've worked in 10 different companies because I've done different roles in global teams and in market teams. I've also lived overseas and traveled abroad considerably, as well as working in corporate relations, commercial business, HR, which is where I am now. So I think if you want to have a go at something, the business will always support you and they'll put in place 
the, uh, the support mechanisms to allow you to try something new, whether it be temporarily for 10 weeks or whether it be permanently for 10 years. I have to imagine that being able to express interest in going to another part of the company or just trying something out for 10 weeks, that has to be a pretty powerful retention tool because people are constantly growing and evolving. But we have heard so much about the coming great resignation, people quitting en masse in areas where the pandemic is easing because perhaps they've been holding on to their jobs because they know that they need money at this very unstable time in our lives. But now that people are getting vaccinated, now that some areas are seeing fewer infections, they might be thinking, okay, now it's safe for me to to quit, to try something completely different out of this company. Laura, do you think that's going to happen? And are you actively taking measures to prevent that at Diageo? I think it's quite hard to tell right now, is it really going to happen or not? I think we're not back in the new normal. I think we've got a lot to learn in the coming weeks and months. And so one of the things I think that's going to be absolutely essential is to be listening and learning as we go and listening to others, not just our own company, but seeing what others are doing, learning from others. The other thing is I think flexibility is going to be key. One of the things we talk a lot about is not putting in place lots of really hard and fast rules as we're thinking about coming back because we don't know if they're going to work or not. We need to have guidelines. We need to have philosophies about flexibility and well-being and those things and, and really help educate our line managers, have great conversations. One of the things somebody said early on to me in the pandemic, and it's really resonated for me throughout, is that we all went through the same storm, but we're all sitting in our own boats. And so the perspective that each person has had and the experience through the pandemic is so different to every other individual. You know, some of us have lost family members. Some of us have been impacted you know, personally, have had, you know, moved countries. Others have had different experiences. And so what's really important is that we create the environment for um, our employees as they start to come back to be able to voice kind of where they're coming from. Some people can't wait to get back into the office or, I don't know, telling us, when are you opening? You know, when can we get back? When can we see our colleagues? And others are saying, I'm not so sure. You know, we even had a conversation this week with people saying, well, actually, I'm, I have some concerns about safety coming back on using public transport. So we've got to really understand that everybody has a legitimate experience and concerns that they need to be able to raise. And so how do we listen, be adaptive, be flexible and respond so I think it'll be interesting to see in the coming weeks and months as people start coming back, actually, what is what is the reality? I also have in the back of my mind this thought about, well, where are they all going to go? Because most of us still do need income, right? And so, you know, I'm not seeing most companies saying, well, you can go work from anywhere and have absolute 100% flexibility. I would say almost the majority are going with this view of it's going to be hybrid. We're going to be more flexible than we were before. And so if everyone's in that kind of space of hybrid, I'm not sure where everyone, if they're all going to be resigning, where, they, where are they all going? A lot of the, the data we're hearing about the resignation, when you see all the surveys from consulting companies and others, it's all survey data, right? They're sending out surveys to loads of people that are working at home. And I think the perspective you get when you've been working at home for a long period of time and never left the house and gone back into the workplace is going to be different than when, you know, if you ask somebody maybe in a couple of months' time, they've been back in, they've had a great experience of, you know, remembering some of the amazing and fun things about being back with your colleagues and the chats you can have that are informal and some of the social events, the community events. Cavs and Janine, I would love your take. 
tell me about how you are setting up remote workers for success if Diageo is moving toward a hybrid model of some people in the office and some people at home. Well, Diageo has always had a fairly flexible way of working for those roles that enable you to do so. So there are some roles um, in every company where you can't have people working flexibly in quite the same way. If I think about our supply chain business, that you know, where you are in a manufacturing site, that's slightly harder. We'd already started to introduce this concept that clearly the future of work and hybrid working is now a hot topic everywhere. What I would say is if, if the last 18 months has taught us anything, we can all work flexibly and still deliver great work. We have said as a business, we're looking at 60-40. We don't want to put days on it because some weeks it will be more than that. Some weeks it might be less than that. What I would say, though, and we've talked about this throughout the podcast, which is our desire to create a truly inclusive culture. And I think when I think about Diageo, what makes Diageo so unique are its people as well as this brand. But actually, I've always said that we have a really special culture at Diageo where when we come together, we deliver wonderful things. And I think that alongside our, our purpose of celebrating life every day, everywhere, really do lead you to want to be together at, at certain moments. doesn't matter what you plan, COVID will change it. We have an ambition about how we see the future of work happening. We know we can't go back to that overnight. You know, one fine Monday, suddenly everybody will say, right, everybody back in and let's start working in a new way. People have worked at home for a long, long time and have actually put in place mechanisms around their life to support that way of working. What will be really important is thinking about how we transition people back into work. How do we build their confidence? How do we get them used to some of the routines that they used to have every day around their commute? child support we've got to think about that for people that were able to you know maybe take their kids to school and pick them up every day through this period what mechanism do they need to put in place and support as they start to transition back to this hybrid way of working so we certainly think about a transition period to help people you know get accustomed to those routines and as somebody said get back into those habits right those habits and ways of working that we've all forgotten when we do come back together We want to really focus it on collaboration and engagement. You know, we're a company that at the core of our purpose is celebrating life every day, everywhere, right? And so celebrating and those moments of celebrating with your colleagues is something we really want to focus on when we bring people back into the offices. You know, what what engagement events, what things can we do to help celebrate our purpose and, and just really think about what are the things that people have really missed. We were actually having some great conversations with our culture club or culture ambassadors that we're putting in place to think about engaging our employees and saying, well, could we even do a series of events of all the big things we've missed while we've been gone? And then use our opportunities to collaborate. We really see magic uh, as a company that's you know really built on innovation. The magic of collaboration is driving creativity, being able to spark ideas off each other. And so when we come back together, how do we use opportunities to collaborate and drive innovation as the way to bring people back? The days of having people come and just sit at a desk all day, I think are long gone. You can do that at home if you need to write a report or write a document. We also have just kind of put in place a global and regional uh, work, kind of what we call working groups to address working at this whole kind of future of work and return to the workplace And that looks at everything from do we need to shift our facilities to be able to create more space for collaboration, what technology will help us enable better collaboration, 
and drive a different way of working? What do we need to think about from a tax perspective for people that may have you know, relocated, you know, coming back into uh, different office locations? Our policies, do we need to relook at those because they're no longer fit for purpose? So do we need to kind of revamp all of those? What learning programs um, do we need to put in place to help line managers and employees have great conversations as they come together? So there's just a whole host of different work streams. Some of them we look at globally because we want to develop assets and share them with all markets. And some of them are really specific to not just the market or the country, but actually that particular office, you know, because this office might have uh, particular constraints around public transport or people being able to drive. So what does that mean? So everything from kind of global assets down to real local considerations as we thought about this whole return to workplace. Janine, I would love to give you the last word if you are not rushing to a next to the next meeting. The one thing I would add here is that I'm so looking forward as well to just being in people's energy field. I really feed off that when I'm in the office. It's about creating that collaboration with people. But there is one thing that this pandemic has taught us is Zoom has brought us into one location. And we have met more colleagues around the world from India to South Africa to my colleagues in London. And we have routines of how we engage with each other because we're all in the same place. So that magic, we want to make sure that we keep as we move into the flex environment that we will be in. Well, Janine, Cabs, Laura, I can't thank you enough for joining me today and for coordinating your schedules to make this podcast happen. I really appreciate you coming on the Talent Economy podcast. Thank you for listening to the Talent Economy. I'm your host, Meredith Bodkiss. You can find much more information about the Talent Economy on staffing.com and toptal.com slash insights, hubs for bold, comprehensive content featuring business thought leaders and authoritative research focused on the future of work.